I think what people often do in friendship is that they let it kind of slide away as they they move the pieces of the rest of their life, like romantic partnerships and careers and family. And I really don't want people to treat friendship as so disposable, really. Welcome to How To. I'm Courtney Martin. We are continuing our series on friendship. So last week we talked about expanding our horizons with new cross-generational friendships, and today we're going to look at our existing friendships and how they evolve. Listen, people change, right? We move, we have kids or don't, we stop partying like we used to, we just get older. And hopefully we get clearer about who we really are and what we want and need from our relationships. Now, in the midst of all that, how do we take an old friendship and breathe new life into it? That's what we're going to figure out today, thanks to a brave listener we're calling Michelle. I've been friends with Blair since grad school, which is well over a decade now. Our eyes met across the room in a grad school um, auditorium, and it was uh, love at first sight. It really was. We, Me and Blair connected really quickly. It was very easy to talk with her. We had a lot of similar hobbies and values. And because we did meet in grad school, we had a lot of time and space to get to know each other, talk in depth. It was almost like one of those sitcom friendships, you know, where they're constantly hanging out, talking about everything and nothing all at once. Maybe on a park bench, like Abby and Alana from Broad City. This is nice. I love hard to get a bench like this. I know. Wait, hold on, hold on. Who does this guy look like? Like, what animal does this guy look like? Turtle. Yes! Are you kidding me? He looks exactly like it. Just like the Broad City duo, Blair and Michelle eventually ended up living across the country from one another. But they made it work. I would still come visit her a few times a year, and we would have a great time. I would stay with her for weeks at a time. But then something happened that altered the friendship. Blair got married, and then Michelle started dating the brother of Blair's husband. So essentially, Blair and Michelle got the dream bestie scenario, friends who become family. Now they live much closer to one another, and their lives have really become intertwined. Except, as with all best laid plans it hasn't turned out to be quite what Michelle expected. I'm in the same state as she is now, within driving distance of her house, but it has felt a little more distance than when we even lived a plane ride away. While Michelle hasn't talked to Blair about why there's been this change, she does have some guesses. I think it really has a lot to do with, like, different identities that we've been navigating. When I met Blair, like we were in grad school and it's just like you have your academic self and your partner self, your friendship self, but now it's like you have the identity of a parent and a mom and a spouse that's now a parent as well and stuff like that. So it feels like we're just navigating more. It's just... I'm wondering a lot about like how to even address the elephant in the room and come to a place where we have some sort of mutual understanding and can move forward. Because I get that like you can never go back to how it used to be, but to get to a closer feeling place is really what I'd like. 
To help Michelle and all of us evolve our friendships as seasons of life change, we're bringing in someone who has thought a lot about this. My name is Raina Cohen. I'm a producer at NPR, and I'm the author of a new book called The Other Significant Others, Reimagining Life with Friendship at the Center. I was blown away by Raina's book. She has such an interesting perspective on how we can elevate friendships, give them higher priority, and be intentional about them, rather than consider them some kind of side project. We'll start learning from Raina right after the break. Okay, I want to start with a passage from Raina's book where she's talking about her friend, M. Like Michelle and Blair, Raina and M met a long time ago. She wrote, and I quote, I've come to view the first couple years of our friendship as a point in history to appreciate rather than long to revive. I think something similar might be at play in our listener Michelle's story too. Here's Raina talking about how her own friendship evolved. So my friendship with M was so close that in in the first year and a half that it surpassed what I would even call a best friendship. Um, we spent many days of the week together because we lived in such close proximity and we had a lot of free time because we hadn't kind of booked up our social lives yet. And M ended up moving to the UK, then came back to the US, but didn't move back to where I was. And the physical distance ended up deepening an emotional distance where we were still close, but not anywhere near where we had been previously. There are times where I spend, you know, hours or something with M and I I feel a sense of nostalgia and a, like a longing for the kind of togetherness that we had. But we you know, don't live in the same city right now. And I think even if we did, like, there, there's some kind of acceptance that I, I needed to come to. Because for a while, I was in a place where I felt like when the circumstances changed, our friendship would. And I think it kept me in this place of not necessarily, like, noticing the reality in front of me. And she probably, like, could smell it on me that, like, I wanted something <laughs> different than I was getting. And I, I think that she worried about disappointing me. So the point is not that like you say like, okay, goodbye to what we had. It was really trying to figure out like in this new order, who are we to each other and enrich the version of the friendship that you have right now and what and what is is possible um, so that you're not kind of, I don't, I, I'm picturing like Linus with his dirty blanket that he's dragging behind him. Um, and I just like don't want to be the person who is dragging the proverbial blanket of my old friendship behind me because I can't <laughs> let it go. Does that resonate, Michelle? Oh, absolutely. I, I think when I first moved here, like I had such high hopes for like, oh my God, now that I'm living close to them again, it'll be just like grad school and I'll pop over all the time. And then like when that stuff like wasn't happening or it didn't feel like I was getting invites and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, I definitely get that we're in a different era, right? So it, things aren't as defined as they are with romantic relationships and like the built-in conversations that you just more automatically have with a romantic partner. Like there aren't rules in friendships about that. So it's like, how do you like, without being awkward, talk about like, what do you want out of this friendship and how do we get there? In order to understand what we want out of friendship, it's helpful to understand what's driving the feelings of attachment. 
Now, the psychologist Lisa Diamond says there are three factors, togetherness, time, and touch. As we've heard, it's easier to form deep attachments in environments like school where time and togetherness are built in. There is so much hanging out. It also makes sense that we feel closer to romantic partners because we often live with them, whereas friendships are often deprioritized as we age. Do you feel like you're you're getting any of those ingredients now? Or like, did you once have them and, and now they're at all changed? Well, it's interesting because like when I lived across the country, we would have to be very intentional with our time of like much more intense, like wonderful bonding time together than even when I moved to the same state and it's like a... Um, half hour drive, it's like harder to get there between all the activities. And then with kids getting older and older, you don't get that in-depth conversation that you can have when there aren't kids in the same room. Not only is like the kind of quantity changing and the intensity maybe, but the quality of those interactions because they're, you know, you have to fit it into your your kids and the other parts of life. Yeah. One of the things I'm thinking, Reina, as I listen, is about the idea that all relationships, including friendships, are deeply about like freedom and constraint. And like part of what is so beautiful about friendship, especially the kind forged in grad school, like Michelle is describing, is that friendship is this source of like freedom and solidarity. And you feel like it's 100 percent chosen. And then a friendship within an extended family unit all of a sudden has all this constraint to it, right? And this responsibility and you've got the kids and you've got the brothers and you've got this sense of like, you know, knock on wood till death do us part for everybody. And I just wonder if there's something here about like the freedom versus constraint piece, Reina, what do you think? That's one way that it can really mess with the friendship dynamic if you feel like there are kind of complex relationship dynamics that you need to be aware of at all times or that, you know, you you can't be your full self or your friend can't be her full self. And the thing that should be able to bring you closer, which is like having reason to see each other because of being part of, you know, being in the same rough area and being in the same extended family could actually make you kind of disconnected from the parts of you that you used to be able to access and that had made the two of you really close. Yeah, that's interesting because I hadn't thought about that before. I think with the four of us, me and her immediate partner and then his brother and uh, me, I feel completely free there. When we're in the extended family gatherings, I think we both are a little more guarded <laughs> with things just because it's an interesting family dynamic with like how big the family is, the different dynamics with relationships there and uh, just different religious aspects as well. I have friends who who are in a, I think, almost the same kind of situation where there it's two um, hetero couples, the men are brothers and the women are best friends and they live next door to each other now. Oh, I love that. Three kids between them and the shared family is a big part of it and that they're, you know, they're really raising their kids side by side. Um, so you know, I, I've seen what a version of this looks like that enriches the friendship. And I think it's like trying to get at here, what is making this more difficult rather than kind of opening up these new areas of intimacy and support for each other? I do feel like part of it is something with like 
our parenting style versus their parenting style of why we can't have come over whenever and like open door, obviously like text each other before you're going to come or like ask, but like, no worries. Yeah, come over. We're here. And I feel like with people's parenting identity, it can be very strong, right? So like if you're trying to address something between two different perspectives on an identity, I feel like I feel like I'm not equipped for the conversation in a way. It's I I just have to say as someone who is very close friends with someone that I co-parent with, I have a fence that we share. So I'm I'm just thinking about how resonant this is for me and I would tell you of all the hard conversations we've had and we've had many, I think the hardest has been about our parenting styles. So I, I just want to sort of underscore that I do think people hold that precious so identity and it's so mm-hmm. challenging um, to tackle. One question, when in sort of your previous evolution of your friendship, the grad school version, did you guys ever have conflict? And when you did, how did you navigate it? Yes. And we would just sweep it under the rug, give it a little bit of time and pretend that nothing happened. <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay, Not so the most healthy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So the old the old tools are not working. The old strategy is not working. No. So so Raina, one of the things I love about your book and the way in which you give such deep weight to the way that friendships unfold in our lives is that you do talk about being as explicit about our friendships as we are about our romantic relationships, right? Like we see what happens in marriages when people choose to not talk about things that come up, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not a good look. But in friendships, I think a lot of us are sort of like, that feels too hard. I'm not going to prioritize the conversation. So can you talk a little bit about like the explicit versus implicit in friendships and why it is important to take the leap of faith to have the hard conversations? In romantic relationships, there's terminology that I think people know, like being avoidant, um, like, you know, trying to steer clear of, of conflict, which ends up making it balloon and and fester and eventually you you sort of have to deal with it and i don't think most people would use that kind of terminology for a friendship or even necessarily think that it's a problem i remember one person that i interviewed for the book said that he was told growing up that if you are talking about a friendship you are trying too hard and i think that that's kind of the mentality of a lot of people like this should be easy my take here is that like any close relationship is going to hit snags and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the relationship fundamentally, but the closer you are to somebody, the more complexity there is, the more tension that's possible. And I think starting from a place of saying that you really care about the friendship and that you want to preserve it. And you could even acknowledge like, you know, this feels hard or this isn't, I know the way that a lot of people kind of handle (laughs) friendships that we just let things, uh, you know, we sweep things under the rug, but this relationship is too important to me to not talk about this. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So like prioritizing the time to do it, have enough time to do it and just like lean into the, the awkward. Cause I want it to get better. Like I hope she does too. If she doesn't feel like there's an issue, I feel like that's telling in itself of like what type of level of relationship friendship she wants um so even just knowing that of like where do i stand um Mm -hmm. in terms of your priorities i think would be helpful too at the beginning 
There's another reason why it's a really smart idea to actually sit down with friends and have explicit conversations about your friendships. Raina says that doing so allows you to skip the guesswork. It's really hard to know what's going on in somebody else's head uh, if you are just trying to read their behavior. And one of the consequences of this kind of, you know, to Courtney's question about leaving things implicit is that we can end up in these feedback loops where we're trying to read someone's behavior and then we respond to match them and then they respond to our response and then it becomes impossible to know kind of where did this start? How did we end up in this situation and, and, and what does this other person actually think? Such a good point. And it also makes me think both that there's this emotional element of really being transparent and brave around you know, saying it plain, what you're experiencing, Michelle, but also what your answer really made me feel like, oh my gosh, this is so structural because you guys aren't spending time one-on-one, -on -one. you know, like the fact that you would even have to figure out a time to do that in order to have this conversation is indicative of the fact that this way in which you all used to spend time together and have this great chemistry together has basically disappeared. Um, so maybe part of the answer is going to be in just ritualizing one-on-one -on -one time for the two of you, whether it's like, you know, you take a walk once a week, just the two of you, or you have a, a special Friday night drink happy hour that's just for the two of you. Yeah, I'd love to do something once a week, but given her priorities with how young her kids are and um, entering into a newish job that she's had, I just don't know how much time she would want to be or can give right now, given the context of things. We've been talking about this as the two of you, and I'm wondering about the men in the picture and how they can support the friendship. One way to sort of facilitate that is to maybe for at least one of you at any given time to not feel like you have childcare responsibilities. Like tonight in a yeah. couple of hours, I will go and hang out at my friend's place while she is um, she stays home on Monday evenings while her husband goes into his choir practice. And I just hang out with her for an hour, hour and a half after the baby goes to bed. And we do that every other week. So it's like just built into our lives. And so, I, yeah, I just, I wonder if there's something that could work there, but it might um, require that you have some additional support to make it so that at least one of you, it doesn't have to be present with the children. Yeah, I like that a lot, especially to your point about like bundling it in with things that are already happening, making it a ritual, like um, health and fitness are very important to us both. So like she has time where she does that alone. It's like, okay, well, maybe I could flip my workout from the evenings to the morning so I could do it with her every once in a while as part of like the uh, ritual that could work for us. But at least like having the conversations around like ideas of how can we make this work better? Yeah, I love that. And and Raina, you write about, you know, if you need any um, talking points with the dudes, which I hope you don't, <laughs> but if you do, um, Raina writes about how marriage, there's research on the fact that marriages where people have really strong friendships outside of the marriage, people are much happier in those marriages. So it's like actually an investment in the health of your marriage for your husbands to be investing in you all getting your time together. Oh, I love that so much. I'm going to use that a lot, I think. <laughs> so here's the research I was talking about there. It's cited in Raina's book. A 2018 study found that spouses who felt satisfied with the degree of social support they had outside of marriage experienced less physiological stress from day-to-day -day marital conflicts than those who weren't as satisfied with their support network. 
Isn't that fascinating? And another research study, this one from 2015, found that, quote, people who disperse their emotional needs across multiple relationships are happier than those who concentrate their needs in fewer. In other words, get yourself a deep bench of friends. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about having the talk with a friend. We're back with Raina Cohen, author of The Other Significant Others. She was just talking about sitting down with a friend and establishing what you both want from the relationship and putting structures into place in order to make it happen. And our listener, Michelle, has a pretty good question. How, how are you supposed to have these conversations of like, like with a romantic partner, it's like, is this on the path to getting married? Like it's a, it's an easy goal of a relationship, right? But with friendship, it's like, what, how do you even start that conversation? You know what I mean? Well, Michelle, I think that what you're pointing out with these differences between romantic relationships and friendships reveals both what is so difficult about friendships and also what is potentially really exciting and liberating. So, Yes, there is uh, this script in a romantic relationship that's sometimes called the relationship escalator where you, you know, get on and then you <laughs> glide to the top, which would be marriage. You know, you can't really de-escalate very easily if you've ever walked, an <laughs> walked down on an escalator. And there are a lot of judgments about, like, what is the right way to do things? Something as simple as, like, if you are romantic partners, like, you should share a bedroom or you should share an apartment and, you know, you, you can't live separately. Um, there's not a lot of... DIY or like choose from a buffet. It's kind of like it's like a prefix setup. With friendship, you are not on that escalator, but what you get is an opportunity to define for yourselves what you want. And, you know, you you aren't kind of beholden to this one way of doing things. Um, and there's a question that I really like from somebody that I interviewed for the book who started reflecting on the friendships in his life and ask to the question, what is the fullest version of this friendship? Mm. And I think that's a really useful question for the two of you to ask, because I don't want you to walk away from this conversation thinking, well, we're not in this the same phase of life anymore, so I'm just going to give up. Like, that's not the point here. But I think it's given the circumstances of our lives and also just like how much we need to unearth because of what's been unsaid. Like, how do we arrive at the place where we can make a rich form of this friendship that we are both really excited about because, it, you know, it's the intentionality that feels like has maybe not been there and and that there's room for you to both figure out like what works for you. And you might have different answers to that, but you can kind of have that conversation together and not having templates frees you to be more creative and more kind of precise and, and build it for yourself what works for the two of you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Michelle heard you say something really important, which was like, how do I start this conversation without being awkward? And I think, <laughs> Raina, I'll take a leap of faith here, but reading your book, I feel like you and I would both be advocates of awkwardness. Like, I think that <laughs> why, the reason it's awkward is because it's radical. It's like 
saying in a society that tells you, don't worry about your friendships, it's only your marriage that matters, that you are going to worry about your friendships and you are going to be intentional about them and you are going to have hard conversations. Like that is awkward just because it's new and it's brave. So I think, you know, be awkward and inspire (laughs) other people to be awkward is my take. Lean into the awkwardness. Yeah. And I mean, what I would add to that is when you have this conversation and maybe have some feelings about like, oh, this is going to be so hard. Do I really want to do this? To remind yourself that the status quo is hard because like you're not getting what you want from your friendship right now. So, you know, if you let things plod along, like you're still going to be in a place where things are not good um, or not what you want. And at least if you kind of channel some of that pain uh, or discomfort into the conversation, there's some possibility of improving the friendship, whereas kind of the everyday unpleasantness is probably not going to get you to a place in the friendship that you feel more satisfied in. Yeah, that's a really good point. That really is. It's easy to do with my romantic partner because it's like, yeah, the pain of not talking about this is more than the discomfort, awkwardness of bringing it up. I'm just going to do it. Like, just do it. (laughs) And awkward is worth it. Awkward is worth it. Oh, my gosh. That should be a quote that I put on my on my wall right there. I wanted to bring up one other element, Raina, that was on my mind when I think about some of my longest relationships, which is context. Like part of me wonders if Blair, and you know, you would find this out in a direct conversation, but if Blair is having a hard time kind of recontextualizing you, Michelle, because it's like your friendship was so based on a certain version of herself. And in this Mm. extended family unit, she feels like a different version of herself that maybe she doesn't even really want you to see. Like there's something about it that she doesn't love or I don't know. I just feel like I have a lot of friendships that it's like, oh, that's the friend that like I talk about art with and go to bars and I don't mention my kids a lot. And then I have this friend who like is also a mother. So we like talk about the drudgery of trying to figure out a summer camp schedule and we don't talk so much about like art or drink at bars and so like trying to put them together is like oh those are kind of two different Courtney's in a way so it just makes me wonder if like there's something here about and again this would be surfaced through an explicit conversation but is there something that Blair feels weird about having you in this extended family place and is there some like maybe she just needs to say, Michelle, please don't ever reference, you know, what I what I did when I was 25 or whatever. <laughs> um, I just wonder if there's like something that would make her feel comfortable being whole in the friendship as opposed to being like worried about you observing her in this context. That is such a light bulb for me because now it's making me think like that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of... Um, discomfort she has with the extended family and a lot of like difficulty she has reconciling like what their religious beliefs are versus what hers are. I think it makes a lot of sense what with what the type of roles we had when we're in grad school too because I was more of like a little sister kind of role it felt like like I was going to her to ask for advice and questions and Um, like the wise older sister that she was or felt like. But in this age that I am now, I'm much more confident in myself. I see us more as like 
like even members of relationship, if you will. And like, maybe she still wants me to see her in a different way. Like maybe both sides Mm. of those things are playing into it. I hadn't thought about that. It's a really good point. Yeah, I'd be so curious when you guys do talk. So so please, please let us know. Michelle, I have a lot of confidence that you're going to figure this out and you guys are going to evolve your friendship in a really beautiful way that I'm guessing will be like even more interesting than the first evolution. But Raina, you talk about that like friendship breakups are shrouded in all this shame in your book. And it's so interesting because we do go through a lot of friendships. Like one study from the Netherlands that you wrote about says that adults replaced half their friends seven year cycles. So it's like, why are we so ashamed of them if they're so common? You know, I, I think if you compare it maybe to a romantic relationship breakup, you can see where some of the shame might come from. So if you are searching for a monogamous relationship and a romantic partner breaks up with you, then they're really saying like, you're not the person I want is the most important person in my life. And with a friend, I mean, a lot of people have dozens of friends. So if they are saying, I don't want you in my life anymore, then that's like, you're, it can feel like a much more devastating blow because it's not just like, I don't want you as the most important person, but I don't want you to be like the top 50 people around me, like get out of here. And that, you know, what I heard from people who had experienced these friend breakups was that it felt almost like a mark on their character in a way that I think you can write off certain things as about compatibility, maybe in a romantic relationship or timing or any number of other things. And another kind of vicious cycle that happens is that when people don't talk about the fact that they've had friendship breakups, then other people don't realize how common it is. And if they think that they are going through this unusual experience all on their own, then it can be easier to feel like, oh, there must be something wrong with me because this is so abnormal. When in fact, we actually just have pretty inaccurate ideas about how how common it is to have these sorts of falling outs. It's so sweet, actually, the how-to producing team, as we were conceiving of this month of episodes on friendship, had this moment where we said, have any of us had friend breakups? And each one of us told some <laughs> like deeply painful story that oh. I was like, oh, wow, this is more normal than I thought. So mm. I really want to echo what you shared, Raina. Um, I also wanted to offer up another piece of your book that I found really beautiful, which was can we move away from this binary idea that you're either friends or estranged, that like there's only two settings and Mm -hmm. move towards this notion of like evolving friendships. You wrote like a collage with components that can be added or shuffled around, which I thought was so beautiful. Can you describe the collage a little bit more? I had compared this to a bit of like an on off switch, which I think we're used to in not just friendships, but also romantic relationships. Like you either have it or you don't. And if you're open to the idea of things kind of shifting around and maybe and being a little bit unexpected rather than it's just like yes or no, then the friendship can reconfigure. It can move into new parts of your life, like new areas of your life. Like now, you know, maybe there are uh, I know you said that there are kind of parenting differences, but like in theory, like you could become more involved in in your kids, respective kids' lives. And that could be a whole other dimension that you would never anticipated back in grad school, maybe about ways to connect the two of you. So just the, the collage idea is that you can move the pieces, add new things, and that it just like gives us a lot more opportunity 
to see how friendships can grow and evolve in exciting directions. Yeah, that's beautiful. And or if co-parenting is really hard, you could also like do less of that for a Mm -hmm. season because kids are constantly evolving and, you know, our confidence around our own parenting is constantly evolving. So part of me is like, yeah, dig in or maybe lean out and just spend more time, the two of you. Michelle, will you take us into like a beautiful dream hang with Blair. Like if you imagine you guys have already had the hard conversation, you put a bunch of stuff on the table, you feel this like renewed energy between the two of you. Like where do you go? What do you do? What kinds of conversations do you have? Oh my gosh. Let's see. It would probably be so we live by the mountains, so we'd go on like a beautiful butt kicker of a hike where we get like the heart rate going and it's just us and the dog so that we can just be talking a mile a minute um, while we try to uh, breathe through the elevation and get in that good workout. And then we hit the top, we feel really close and like we've revived our friendship. And then we cheers with a margarita. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. That is so beautiful. Well, hold that in mind when you're trying to bear the awkwardness of oh having gosh, this conversation. I love that. I love that as a visualization tip. The literal peak of friendship you're talking about. <laughs> there we go. You want the, exactly. the, you've got this whole vista, you know, you, that you can look forward to. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much to Michelle for sharing her story with us. And to Raina Cohen for all of her advice. Check out her book, The Other Significant Others, for even more stories of -of out-of-the-box friendships. Okay, we have one more episode to go in this series on friendship, and it's an amazing one from Carvel, where he helps a listener find closure after a friend breakup. I hope you'll join us next week for that. And in the meantime, do you have a peaks and valleys kind of problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We might just have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director and composed our theme music. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks for listening. Listening.